Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Liberty Station. I am Bryce Eddy, and I am in for Rob uh, on a solo path today because uh, Rob is uh, running around the country doing the things that Rob does. And um, today I have an awesome guest that I'm excited about. We are doing a um, couple of parts to this one because uh, our, our guest today um, is working on a project that... Um, you know, I think we need to, to set up in one podcast, and then uh, when the um, actual details are ready, we'll, we'll come back and, and go through the process and, and um, you know, really explain the study and everything that's happened there. Um, but with that, let me introduce uh, Dr. Jeff Nordella. And uh, listen, we were having some fun out there talking a little bit uh, about what we're going to talk about, and your background is pretty amazing. So um, I'm excited to have you, and, and uh, I'm glad that we can finally make this work. I know you had some travel and a bunch of things going on, so um, thank you for having uh, you know taking this time and coming in. Oh, absolutely! Thank you, thank you for having me. Yeah. So um, first, you know, like I. I, I talked in the beginning, um, I'd like to just hear your background, sort of level set for everybody, you know, who you are. You've been through some amazing battles on behalf of consumers and and people. Um, I mean, I'm not going to call you a crusader, but you're kind of a crusader. <laughs> so I love it. So so tell me about your background and then let's talk about what you've been doing. Well, um, I'm not the typical um, doctor that came from an affluent background, very poor background. Uh, so I really honor my education. It was a very, very long struggle. Uh, took seven years undergrad, <clears throat> college, uh, four years medical school, and I was three years in training, trained in three different residencies, attended uh, UC San Diego undergrad and UCLA med school, uh, and then trained in family medicine, emergency medicine, occupational medicine. Been exposed to um, <clears throat> the trauma centers in Los Angeles County, worked uh, probably about seven years in those went off, owned and operated my own clinics uh, that had a combination of fam family practice continuity of care as well as uh, urgent care and then occupational medicine as well. Uh, so um, that's, that's kind of the background of a practicing physician. And coming, coming to the talk is from a clinical aspect, a clinical physician's aspect. So I've treated thousands of patients um, and also work for the Department of Public Health in their clinics and so forth, uh, seeing patients and teaching and so forth. So it's been about, I don't even want to admit it, but it's been about 35 years of clinical medicine. So uh, hopefully I can uh, explain to the public, which I think is um, confused uh, at minimum, uh, but how the virus works, so forth and so on, and then initiated this last data mining, we call it, even though science doesn't like to, to use that term, but we looked at patients because of the inequity and in the antibodies, and people were being excluded from particular either social and or occupational work issues on that basis. So that's what the study is, uh, hopefully will reveal to us. Yeah. So when, when we first spoke, I mean, and, and just for the audience and, you know, sometimes you're going to have to talk to me like I'm five years old because, uh, you know, I'll need some good explanations, but, um, you know, there was almost an absence of any discussion on what our natural immunity was doing. You know, uh, once you got COVID, all that stuff, there was such a dramatic push towards vaccine and the immunity that is supposedly occurring because of the, the vaccine. But um, it, they pretended as if the immune system did not exist um, and our natural immunity wasn't a thing. So... Um, what do you what do you think the the reasons there were? I mean, I think I know, but <laughs> what do you think the reasons there? And then you know, tell me a little bit about that track and you know, kind of what they were doing. Sure. Well, to be fair and equitable, um, you know, COVID's brand new, right? right? Uh, you know, we have a little bit of virus like uh, with the uh, with the first generation, but. Um, after a while, you're absolutely correct. I think there was a steering away from the natural immunity issue. And I mean, you know, it comes down to uh, the leaders, the regulators um, uh, of steering away, I think, because that vaccine was the only way to go. You know, we look at the uh, medications that you could use. Um, they were all uh, disregarded. Um, uh, studies after studies after studies show that they were effective. Um, there was no conversation in, in all of this. That's that's what I've I've noticed in all of this over the the time I've spent with this is 
you have groups of doctors that are discussing the science of these things. Uh, and I'm not associated with anyone. So it's not that I'm biased, pro or against. The issue is, is that there's no conversation with the regulators, with the top people. It's like, where's, where's the science in that there's no science? So Yeah, so they're deciding basically in a vacuum, here's what we're going to do, here's the path that we're going to run down. Um, and there's no um, real talk some, you know, with the medical community at large. There's no discussion. There's no, you know, hey, here's what we think. What do you guys think? Kind of a thing. They're just deciding and then dictating what the, you know, what the protocols are going to be. Correct. And I don't know of any individual that really responds to dictators. Right. I mean, that's what we're in America. <laughs> that's yeah. What, that's what we're, we, we're supposed to be not. <laughs> so, um, so going, going back a little, um, the question I've, I've asked a couple of people, um, and I'm always fascinated to hear uh, a doctor's response, but at what point in the early time, going back to like March or whatever, when they, you know, say, hey, we're going to have, you know, two week lockdown to slow the spread, things like that. At what point did you start to wake up to the fact that, Okay, something's not right here, or they're lying to us. Or t tell me a little bit about your process to, to you know, kind of get you down the path. Yeah, it was just looking at the studies, um, the studies of the hydroxy and the ivermectin and so forth. Is that the studies that they used to support their point? And I think one big turning point was the Kentucky study when they okay. talked about immunity, <clears throat> natural immunity versus vaccinated immunity. Uh, and I think it was Walensky, Dr. Walensky, that came out and used this one study. And then if you review the study, you realize it's like, well, you know, it's, it's not supporting your narrative. Right. I apologize, but it's not. And then weighing it against all of the other studies, global, that came out that said, natural immunity is very important to this. And we've actually, I've looked at some of the data, we looked at over 500 patients and I've looked at the data and um, it's, it's holding true that natural immunity is, is, is stronger than the vaccinated immunity. I, I found it amazing that, um, and, it, and it was, a, I think, an intentional trick, but I remember speaking about studies, the CDC, um, there was a study that came out, and um, it was on masks. And they made a post, like a Twitter post or social media post that said, you know, uh, study shows that masks are effective or whatever it was as far as the headline. It was like, oh, it's indisputable. Here's the study. And I started reading the study, and what I found in the study was that it basically said that, well, you know, I mean, the study showed that that it was marginal at best. The masks had a insignificant uh, result if they were worn correctly. It was the right mask. It was, you know, and, and, and you didn't touch it and, you know, all of these factors. So, but nobody nobody's going to read the study. What they're going to see is the headline and the CDC posting a study and uh, and then everybody's going to go, hey, here you go. And then they repeat it. They send it out. Oh, no, the CDC did a study. Masks are effective, and they're just going to run with it. Um, I imagine that happened more than just that one time, right? Well, absolutely. <clears throat> All of the, the data that I looked at, even with the ivermectin, never put it in its clinical picture. So the clinical picture was is when used early at a particular dosing schedule – then there was, you know, efficacy to the treatment. Right. Now, a couple of things is, is that when I looked at this, their, their studies, the first three or four studies I looked at just was like, well, wait a sec, you're using ivermectin inpatient, okay, seriously sick patients, ICU patients, and saying it's not effective, therefore yeah. oh, disqualified. See, it doesn't work. Right. Right. So they can manipulate literature. Anyone can manipulate literature to sell your narrative. So, you know, I think that that is important. And it's like, it, it just is very disturbing to me after 35 years of practice that we're here. Right. Because these agencies need to be neutral. They need to, you know, be resistance against whatever political influence or financial influence you want to talk about. And the reason being is I'm a practicing physician. So right. I rely on them to bring me the pure truth science. So I can, my job as a doctor, 
if you're a patient, I give you the risk and the benefits. Mine is not to make a decision for you. Right. Mine is to tell you, here are the risks and here are the benefits. But if I don't know them, such as, you know, I'm sure we'll evolve one, one, one of these times into the Pfizer papers. I was unaware of any of the data that's in the Pfizer papers. Right. And I think most treating physicians are, and I think they have a responsibility to understand what that is before they advise these patients. Because, again, mine is not to tell you, you know what, looks good, let's give you the shot. Mine is to say, here's the risk, and here are the benefits. And we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this down the line here. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited to get into the, the Pfizer papers and, and some more about, you know, kind of what you're doing in preparation for our next episode where we'll actually go over the details. But um, I, I would love for you to talk, you know, um, as we were, you know, warming up and shaking hands and all that good stuff earlier. You were telling me a little bit about some of these battles that you've been through. Um, can you talk a little bit about, um, in whatever order you want, sure. um, your battle with uh, with Blue Cross, um, and also your your battle with your uh, you know regulators and in, in uh, uh, the other case that you mentioned? Yeah. So uh, the Blue Cross case, um, after I came out of the emergency medicine, I opened operate uh, a clinic in Santa Clarita. It was very successful. Uh, we treated a lot of patients. Um, we tried to give the best care we could, um, and we got into a, a, a dispute with Anthem Blue Cross, felt that they wanted to obviously strong-arm me into a position, and I'm not the person to strong-arm. Um, so we it escalated to a wrongful termination. Long story short, um, this is a multi-billion dollar organization. Um, I had shopped out an attorney. No one would take the case initially right? Um, until I found one physician, or excuse me, one attorney, private solo practitioner, was incredible, incredible. And she took the case on by herself. And when she was going against downtown Los Angeles, $800,000 an hour firms, right? Uh, and... Uh, very successful. Uh, initially, we were not. We did an appeal to the Supreme Court. Uh, they denied to hear the case. It came back, but we were able to get them finally into trial. So it was seven weeks of a trial. Uh, and uh, we were successful on the complaint uh, to the point where the jury said, not only did you do bad, uh, we're going to tag you with punitives. Wow. Um, so that settled, uh, went on. Uh, we did do a book. I didn't write it. Um, it was a writer that wrote it. I, I'm here. It's, I've, it's gotten five stars on Amazon. So if you really want to know kind of what motivates me as a human being, uh, it's all in that book. And it, 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 I had tragedies, personal tragedies that you would go, oh, my gosh. But <clears throat> the issue is, is that we still live. We still move forward. Uh, time's going to make you do that. Uh, right. And uh, so um, I think it would be helpful to people. And then at the same time, you can look and see what corporate America is like. And this is in healthcare. Yeah. Which is sad. Well, it is sad. I wrote an article recently for our local paper, and I and as a part of it, and I and the overarching theme of it was self reliance and and self reliance as self defense for us. Um, but one of the things that I um, believe we've done is we have outsourced our morality and replaced it with legality. And so a lot of there, because there's a lot of things that are not um, moral that are legal and vice versa. Correct. And um, as believers, we certainly should be first and foremost, you know, everything should be about, you know, moral dictates and, um, you know, what is ethical and what is right and all that stuff. And I've noticed that corporate America has completely abandoned, um, in most cases, um, that the idea of morality or what is ethical it's all about, you know, um, taking care of our shareholders and or, you know, achieving our goals. They're doing evil things in the name of expediency. They're, you know, they're, they're doing all kinds of terrible and evil things. And unfortunately, as Christians and believers, we're part of that a lot of times, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think we're, 
um, forgetting that we have this, you know, high, you know, moral responsibility first, not just, well, is it legal? Oh, can we get away with it? Um, how will that uh, work in court? You know, can we can we win? You know, and I think as believers, we do that. And, and it's uh, something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Well, they play also the odds. So if you, you know, if you damage 10 people, who's going to come after maybe one of which I'll still make a heck of a profit on nine? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, we'll pay this one off, but whatever. It's like, you know, Ford Pinto with the gas, the, the, the gas tank and all of the people who were injured. And it was less expensive to pay off wrongful deaths than it yeah. was to move Can forward. you, um, would the case itself, and sometimes they're not always interesting, but the case itself, can you give the, you know, high notes of what, you know, the, the Blue Cross case was about or, you know, well, just in. Yeah. And again, it was barring me from a network um, that, uh, you know, we had at one time, and I say we, it was my practice. It was called SCV Quality Care. Uh, at one time, over 40,000 lives we took care of. Mm-hmm. So this group of healthcare providers took care of a lot of patients. So Blue Cross is very strong, as you know, yeah. and they have a large patient uh, uh, subscriber. Right. Uh, uh, but um, they just felt they were very powerful, so it was my job to stand up to that and, and fight and battle them. Right. Um, so they so they kicked you out of the network. Correct. Right. Which which for those people who don't necessarily understand that that means you know because there's doctors that are out out of network only and yeah. that's how they built their practice and and all that and that's a specific business model. But if you're in network, you know then for those people that are you know getting their insurance through their employer, all that stuff, mm-hmm. they're ninety three percent of all people go to in network doctors. Correct which is where the insurance carriers are able to really control their costs because they have a negotiated rate with you. Correct. And, and that's what you're going to charge. And, you know, that's what we're going to get reimbursed. We could charge all we yes, want. That's true. <laughs> uh, yes. The, the good distinction. Cause right. that is true. But, right. but um, yeah, you're, you're going to get reimbursed a percentage, you know, of that, the employee, uh, the employee, the employee is going to pay, or the patient is going to pay their, you know, copay or their co-insurance Correct. and all that. Correct. Um, so that, if they kick you out of a network where you've been operating in that, that that can you know wreck your business pretty quickly. Well, that and it breaks the bond between the physician and the patient. Yeah, and that is just something that's it's unacceptable. Di- yeah, they're directing you know their care away from you. Exactly. Yeah, and it's like you know there was a there was a day that insurance companies didn't exist as far right. as healthcare existed, yeah. but uh, now they do. So yeah, and it was. Uh, it was incredible. The job, and I cannot, you know, give her enough accolades as that my attorney did. She just battled, and they came to us numerous times, and they said, "We want to settle. We right. want to settle. We want to settle." And started yeah. throwing the money out, and it went from small to large. And yeah. you know, we've, we've calculated the legal expenses yeah. that we're going to have this battle, right. and our potential. Right. We're thinking now it's not worth fighting you anymore. Yeah. So, and in, in, in at one time, I wrestled a little bit with my counsel, and I said, you know. I just want my day in court. Yeah. As long as we're going to do this and I'm paying tax dollars to do this, I want my day in court. And it became a very interesting thing. It's all in the book. Uh, and the book's called Denied, if anybody wanted to go to Amazon and look at it. But it, it tells you about the insurance industry, but it also tells you about life. Yeah. Um, so, and then that, uh, as soon as we finish that one, I'm at another clinic that I opened up in Porter Ranch. So dealing with regulators and so forth is just absolutely amazing. This was a utility company, and most people remember 2015, October, to February 2016, um, they had a blowout. And, you know, you're talking about very deep rock well. It's it's nothing but a rock well that houses uh, basically natural gas with all its contaminants and constituents in it, and it blew and uh, you're under 3,000 PSI pounds per square inch, and it's shooting this plume into the air, showering a community in chemicals. We don't even know what the chemicals are. We don't really know what the chemicals are because, fast-forwarding, the gas company won't turn them over or didn't turn them over. The Department of Public Health wouldn't exercise their subpoena power to get the chemicals, and the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors knew that these people were being showered with crude oil. 
with no evaluation of the constituents, they did nothing about it and also wouldn't file a, a, use their extra their, their subpoena power. So how can we do studies, accurate studies on this, uh, if we don't have this? And this is now going coming up, I think, in October, seven years. Yeah, well, I, I, I remember it because yeah. I had several friends that lived in those areas that had to move out for months and months and months. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and there was all kinds of um, yeah c- confusion and um, you know the news stories and everything else. Um, y- yeah, you could tell they were playing a game. So um, yeah, tell me how that worked out. And- well, it worked out is that I so I did different studies, clinical evaluations on patients. I was the medical director at the urgent care that was at ground zero uh, that I actually built. We sold it off to a group, an orth- orthopedic group. Uh, and uh, so I was about ready to do a town hall when all of a sudden I was relieved of duty. And it was like, what? <laughs> it was just, it was shocking to me that they do. Now, they knew nothing of the urgent care industry, okay? And so bottom line, I appealed to them in, in logic and tried to mitigate the damages, say, look, don't do this. Let's sit down and have a conversation and go okay. over the points. Right. Now you're going to have to explain. So they <laughs> they got they were able to terminate you based on what? Well, I was defined as an independent contractor. Okay, which we found out later. You know, the only the IRS and the uh, the court systems are the only one that can make that determination. That's my understanding, and I wasn't. So they could just discontinue the relationship. And everything that they said was all pretext. It was all a lie. Um, and they just tried right. to kind of cover it up. But yeah they, yeah, they knew that you were exposing things. Yeah, so when I appealed to them, very logically, very politely, so forth and so on, they said, basically, pack your bags and get out by this date. So I was gone. So who am I going to call? Miss Barta. There <laughs> <laughs> right. we go again. So we entered into that litigation. They tried to get it thrown out after, I, th- I want to say it was three years, uh, on what they call a motion for a summary judgment, that there's no case here, there's no issues here. The judge just kind of, I wasn't at present, but from what I understood, uh, said, absolutely not, and uh, this is going to trial, uh, of which they waited outside. When they lost on the summary judgment, it was like a huge blow. So they walked outside and they... Asked Teresa, well, uh, what's it going to take to make it go away? And that was the issue there. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, again, injustice, injustice, injustice. It's just, it's what rubs me wrong, I guess. Yeah, I love it. No, and, and I think we, um, we need to behave more like that um, because what most of us have done is just, oh, okay, well, I guess this is what's happening now. And then, you know, you know, moving on, I'll find something else. I'll, you know, shift gears and because it comes at great cost. I mean, I, uh, for um, anyone who's ever been in a minor lawsuit, first thing I always do and, and say to people if they get sued is, well, you must be out there being successful because you know it's an inevitability if you are engaging in you know these days with how litigious our societies become mm-hmm. with you know all the things that are that are out there where people just you know use their uh, attorneys as you know gladiators to you know beat up other people right um you know it means you must be you know engaging in something and out right. there you know in the world and um unless you're doing something of great evil most of the time it's just it's part part of life and part of doing business yeah it could be but, but either yeah, but for Correct. anyone who's ever been, you know, even given a cease and desist letter or a, you know, minor lawsuit or the threat of something, you know, knows how, how that feels. Mm-hmm. And it is not an easy process to go through. So for you to be like, oh, I'm I'm fighting on behalf of, you know, uh, this injustice. I'm going to go after this. I mean, that's, that's a tremendously stressful time. So, oh, it is. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then you that led me to this whole thing of seeing patients and then starting to have patients on their own go get their antibodies tested. Right. And then it was like, so I started evaluating this. And I said, you know, let me, let's test a couple of different people. And I started seeing these different profiles. And this was at the time that, you know, you couldn't go to a movie or you couldn't go out to dinner unless you had a vaccine card or, or, or whatever. And then it pushed into all of these civil servants. 
Well, you know, civil servants, if done correctly, all right, they serve the people. So the administration and the civil servants, I think, have lost that philosophy. Now, the worker bees, they serve the people. Our tax dollars pay for them. So like Department of Public Health, when they blatantly lied to the public, taxpayers' dollars, $1.3 billion we produced. I produced a 75-page white paper on what they did, black and white. No one's picked up on it. Very few have picked up on this and ran with it. And there's evidence there that shows that they've lied to the public. And they're a, an agency that has a gold statement of transparency, of working with the people for their health. They did none of that. They're still doing none of it today. So you look at all of that and you go, okay, these are our regulators. Okay, so $1.3 billion we paid them to potentially harm us by not doing the appropriate thing and looking or looking the other way. So it's something that people have, can have available as this this. 75 page white paper they can look at it but again going what's, okay so what's the white paper white paper is about the aliso canyon blowout okay but then fast forwarding to now the antibody profiles and i'm looking at these wait a sec you're going to terminate civil servants police officers firemen healthcare workers in the midst of this the 911 calls uh, you know, we're, we're really going to do this because they won't get vaccinated and there is no evidence if you don't screen that would be fair to the patient to allow them to have the decision they should not be losing their job. So that's what the study kind okay. of was uh, trying to address. Yeah, so now along those lines, uh, for for our listeners and, and the audience, um, t- can we talk a little bit about the immune system? Absolutely. Um, because... A lot of these first responders, because they're out there, you know, they've gotten exposed, obviously, to COVID. You know, um, many of those guys, I mean, if you're thinking about the fire department or others, they're dealing with transients on a, you know, daily basis. They're dealing with um, sick patients. They're being, you know, called into people's homes. Um, You know, they're some, they're wearing some protective gear and things like that, but, um, you know, that's not as effective as, uh, you know, it's been pretended to be. Um, So they're getting exposed, which generally those guys have, you know, pretty outstanding immune systems. Um, so talk, talk a little bit about immune function and kind of how that works. And then, um, sure. It, you know, yeah. And you can look at the groups, the high risk groups, and we'll go over it. It's, yeah. it's actually quite fascinating. So first of all, the virus is very, very, very small, 0.1 microns. Okay. So it's like a thousand times smaller than one hair shaft. So you go, okay, so how does it work? So you usually the, the main vector is respiratory. <clears throat> so it gets into the oropharynx or the nasopharynx, and it has to, we, we've heard this f- so, so much as sickening, spike protein. Spike right. protein is the protein that sits on the virus envelope or capsule, um, and it attaches through a chemical. We won't get into all of that craziness because there's, it's a complex chemical reaction that occurs one step, two right. step, on and on and on. And it basically allows the virus to attach to the ACE2 receptor, which we should talk about because I think it's very important that people understand this. So the virus attaches and it enters the cell. So it has really one mechanism to get into the cell. And we'll, we'll hopefully we'll, we'll address the vaccine and how it enters the cell. It's, it's different. So it goes by ACE receptor. <clears throat> the ACE2 receptor is called angiotensin-converting enzyme 2. It's a system your body has. body's amazing. So it has the, the issue of protection. That's its job. So as we get older and start getting blood pressure issues and so forth and so on, this ACE2 receptor is planted in specific organ systems. So we'll start with the head, then the respiratory tract, then the pulmonary tree, then the cardiac issues with it. It also is in kidney, okay, uh, and it, uh, the last is, is it's, it's uh, in adipose tissue, which I didn't know prior. Hmm. There's a lot of ACE2 receptors, which ties to one of the obesity. comorbidities yeah. of obesity. 
So if you allow this virus to attach to these ACE2 receptors, it gets in the cell, okay? It injects its in total messenger RNA, different from the vaccine, so it's the total messenger RNA, goes into the cell, replicates, makes a thousand, and then tells the cell to destroy itself. Or by another mechanism, which we don't need to get to, it's exocytosis, it gets back out into the system. And there's all kinds of things which is important for your listeners to understand. This is not like step one, step two, step three. This is happening numerous steps at the same time. So your first line of defense, which nobody really talks about much, which I actually learned uh, going through this, is your secretory IgA. And what is that? That's an antibody. An antibody is a protein your body makes. So you have secretory IgA that lines your respiratory tract all the way down into your pulmonary tissue. And that's trying to keep bad things out. And it's very viral specific. So we need a specific antibody to inhibit this virus when it comes in. And we're going to apply this later and it's going to go a little complex, but I'm going to try and keep it really basic. Okay. So you initiate the virus. The virus comes in. You don't have IgA to the virus. So it attaches here, gives you the nasal congestion, goes up to your olfactory bulb, which sits back in the sinuses, and affects your smell. Right. So it affects a nerve. We we have that documented because people don't have that in two-thirds taste, blah, 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 the cranial nerves. We won't get into that. But it affects the nerves, and it knocks these organ systems, uh, you know, out. So you don't have smell. You don't have taste. I have a sore throat. Now, this is the interesting thing about this. The sore throat, people swallow. Right. And they swallow. And when you swallow, it actually goes down into the stomach, into the small bowel, and you have very specialized lymphatic tissue in the bowel that will take the virus and go foreigner. And what it will do, it will make secretory IgA specific to the covid Okay, and actually go back with another protein and transplant it into your nasopharynx. So on your next exposure, the virus, somebody coughs on you and so forth, that's your first line of defense. Okay, but let's say you don't have that. So now you go and the virus starts to spread down into the respiratory tract and it gets so far. So people have this tracheal, trachea, bronchitis, cough, hacking, so forth and so on. But it can go down further, and the virus can cause damage because the ACE2 receptors are there. So then it initiates this massive immune response, okay, which is incredibly complex. okay. And then you get the second part of it, which is cytokines. So cytokines are chemicals just directing traffic. But if the traffic gets too crazy, it goes out of control, and you have kind of dysregulation. I'm trying to put it in very simple terms that we understand. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's great. And that the cytokines actually can become a negative to to the human body. So it can attack the pulmonary tree. So as a treating physician, what I want to do is I want to get on board early with patients, okay, whatever the treatment is. So the treatment can be antiviral, and anti-inflammatory. And then there's a third component, which is the clotting, which we'll hold off on because... Yeah, so, but when, you know, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about what you talked about earlier with ivermectin, you know? So some of these things that were uh, needing to be done early on in the process, it's because, you know, not all that stuff was happening. You weren't, you know, you weren't far advanced. You didn't have this sort of thing, you know, just exploding through your system. So some of those early interventions, you know, would have been very effective. Um which is why it's it's stupid and manipulative that they would do it, um, you know, or or give ivermectin to a you know far advanced inpatient, you know, the the you know person is is really struggling. Oh yeah, look, ivermectin didn't work or HCQ didn't work. Um, you know that, yeah, that's nefarious. And I think the answer to that is viral load. So it's like how many viruses? I mean, when you talk about it, it gets very complicated. And again, I don't know if we'll have the time, but, you know, of who's contagious to whom, okay? You have to look at the donor. You have to look at the recipient. You have to look at the number of virus shed. You have to look at the number of virus intake. You have to look at the host and the health of the host to say who's going to contract this. And then, of course, we want to look at 
are you vaccinated or, or did you have the virus before is going to give you a breakthrough or not a breakthrough. But that's, right. that's the other issues. But on a primary infection, then it starts to go go wild so it affects can affect anything can affect the central nervous system spike protein we know goes across the blood brain barrier it can affect the heart it can affect all of that the virus itself and that's absolutely documented in the literature Um, but it's the gi tract that i thought was incredibly interesting because these patches in the bowel if you get covid gi it's good. It would be better. But the respiratory, if you're swallowing, it's like we did the polio virus. You might not be old enough, but I, yeah, I my, took my, the sugar coop. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because my dad had polio. My dad is uh, mm. paraplegic. I'm sorry. Um, uh, to stay, you know, uh, he got it when he was two. And yeah. It has, you know, amazing life. I mean, I grew up as a kid. Uh, it was like we didn't even know he was handicapped because he's such a, you know, such a capable guy. And, That's you know, good. funny little stories. We'd... As kids, you know, eight, nine, ten, you know, thirteen years old, whatever, we'd be like, you know, walking into to stores and walking through doors, not holding the door for my dad, kind of a thing, yeah. you know. And people would give us dirty looks, but yeah. we, but it wouldn't that's, even occur to us, that you know. Dad. His dad, you know, my dad would walk on crutches at those yeah. times, and you know, now he's in a you know fast racing wheelchair, yeah. but it never <laughs> occurred to us. But he had missed having the polio vaccine, um, you know, by really he was. 1950 was when he was born. He got it at, at two years old, and the um, the vaccine was out, but it wasn't as widespread, Correct. you know. And so, uh, so he ended up, um, you know, being a, a victim of polio. So, and yeah. The point to that oral vaccine was is that it went into the bowel and it gave you protection in your nasopharynx because that's where it first attacks. So if we can neutralize it there, wow. which which actually leads to a point which we can talk about later is that, you know, taking patients who have had this, I don't see a lot of literature on taking a nasal swab and checking for your IgA. Right. I, and I don't know if that exists. I can't Im- not imagine that it doesn't exist with some specialty lab. But if you're having the argument with the with the civil servants and so forth and so on, why not do a nasal swab and see if they're positive for this? And they have IgA because those are the people that are going to be very resistant to getting a viral load that would be contagious to others. And hence, we have the issue of transmissibility. Right. So we should, shouldn't we look at that before we start sticking chemicals into people? Or, you know, is it, is it about science or is it about whatever? I don't know. Yeah, of course we should, but they won't yeah. because they're, you know, they're not motivated to actually solve the problem. Yeah, and that's just one science issue to this whole thing. So again, you get this IgA and then you start getting other antibodies. You know, there's, I've read anywhere between 30 and 50 different structural proteins to this virus, of which I have no idea if they have assays. I'm sure in very specialty, the high research labs will have uh, uh, the ability to measure these antibodies. But we just did a few common ones, which is the semi-spike uh, antibody to, to, to the protein, to the, to the spike protein. And we did a nucleocapsid antibody. And then we went forward and did um, T-cell activation. And uh, the, the lab wouldn't say activation, but we wanted to see if the T-cells were, were, were noted to this. Because bottom line, if you get the virus once, as just virology 101, and you get the virus again, you have the memory T-cells and the memory B-cells. Okay, so now the way I understand that Please. and. and- I'm probably entirely wrong, so you're going to have to um, correct me. But a a lot of the um, emphasis was on testing people for antibodies. But just having, you know, high antibody load does not mean your body doesn't know how to deal with it. Because don't you essentially like, hey, we've got the memory, you know, like right now our, our antibodies aren't on the front line because we don't need them to be. But, you know, we recognize this, we can produce that and go. Is that true? It's like your body has memory. So it's more complicated than just whether you have antibodies in you or not. Exactly. The immune system is very complex. So when you first get the virus, you get a spike in your IgM. That's a particular molecular arrangement of an antibody they label as IgM. Then you also get the IgG. And if you look at graphs, you'll see time frame. Then the question was, is how long is the IgG protective and and how long will it stay positive for to protect us? But then we said, you know what? 
and I've talked to medical directors and virologists and so forth and so on. I says, well, what does that really matter? I mean, because if you've triggered your memory B cell and you triggered your memory T cell, so now you're healed, you're better. It's nine, let's say it's three months, six months, nine months out. And I get exposed to this virus again. What happens in the body? Well, the memory B cells, the literature that I've read, 12 to 24 hours, you can manifest another spike in antibodies. Yeah. And then the T cells take a little longer. And remember that the antibodies actually lock it up. That's why they're called neutralizing. So they're locking this up, the virus is up, and it puts a lattice out. And the T cells come along like Pac-Man, and they eat it. Right. <laughs> and then they process it. And then the T cells might die. Uh, and then they're metabolized out of the body, but it's 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 fighting the virus. It's cleaning. It. It's not allowing the virus to get a hold of you. Okay, so yeah, so that explains. I've had you know conversations with with people where yeah, man, I had COVID. Um, you know, it wasn't so bad, uh, but you know, I was sick for a week, whatever. And then hey, I went and got my antibodies tested, and I don't. I'm not showing antibodies. You know, and it's like, well, okay, your antibodies just aren't at work at that moment. They don't. They well, don't necessarily need to be. Uh, you know, a huge reservoir of them, right? And, and I would look at that and I would say, well, what's your nuclear capsid antibody? The one thing I have discovered from initial recognition of this data or looking at the data, um, of the patients that have had the virus, 100%, 100%, I think there's 250 some odd patients have a positive nucleocapsid antibody. Okay. Now, remember, that's a qualitative test. So it just tells you it's positive or negative. So it has to meet a cutoff. Right. Okay? Granted. And this is a commercial lab. This is not a research lab. Um, uh, the vaccinated patients, all the vaccinated patients, which we I want to say we looked at only 55 came forward because it was a volunteer study. Right. Only 55 came forward. Zero of them have a nucleocapsid antibody. Now, I compared that because I interviewed every patient myself. So I went through their paperwork, and I had conversation after conversation after conversation and put this in study sheets and so forth and computerized it. Uh, protecting HIPAA, no, no violation of anybody's privacy. Um, but uh, the issue is, again, zero on the nucleocapsid antibody. Now, I would take this to the higher researchers and say, okay, this needs to be looked at again. Totally agree. Let's do a bigger study. If this is the case, because we don't know how long the nucleocapsid antibody is stays positive for. I've never seen a patient have the virus by history and have a negative nucleocapsid. So my gut feeling right now, and again, I don't have the data, is that it stays positive for a long time. So you might be able to use that as a screening. Now, Remember all of the phases it went through. So mm -hmm. we're now up to Omicron. We're actually coming into XE, which is a combination of the B1, B2, and blah, blah, blah. So <clears throat> the issue is, is a lot of people are getting like a sinus infection. It's mild, this or that. Yeah. That could be the Omicron. And of what that's going to do is basically raise their titers again, mm -hmm. because that's how it works. So if the nucleocapsid is something they could screen with, I want to say it was a $42 test. Um, screen people. If the nucleocapsid is positive, you've been exposed. Right. You've had this virus. So what do we need to do from there? Do we need to fire you because you won't take a vaccine? Of by, by the way, will not give you a positive nucleocapsid antibody. Well, um, <laughs> so the same day that they leaked the Supreme Court, uh, you know, brief on Roe v. Wade. Two things happened, and that was the 2000 Mules documentary was released, and also the Pfizer papers. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of folks that look at that and go, oh, okay, how come everybody's talking about Roe v. Wade and not talking about the Pfizer docs or 2000 Mules on that day? Um, highly suspicious timing. With that, um, you want to talk a little bit about those papers? I mean, I you know I, I saw some summaries of some of the folks that you know weighed through some of it, and there's you know some you know general information out there. But but did you dive into it at all? And what did you see? I haven't, to be absolutely fully honest. Um, so I have read what people 
have discovered, right? Um, or watched, you know, um, uh, presentations, podcasts, so forth and so on. Yeah. yeah, and it's quite concerning. I mean, just yeah. just the first part, which I understand, and I actually saw this with my own eyes, so it's not hearsay. Um, so I saw the nine pages of the side effects. Right. I also understand that when they when it when they started the vaccine, I want to say it was December. Uh, of 2020, uh, for the first three months, they did record, and this is Pfizer's documentation, 1,223 deaths. Right. So, of course, now the narrative will be, well, how do we know that this occurred from the virus? And, and you know, I think yeah. that that's fair. Yeah. Uh, so, so look, don't not look. Don't just make a statement. Well, we don't know that. Let's look because. It's, it's a duty to be able to let people know. So I would like to know that as a practicing physician saying, look, you know, here's what it says. You might want to take that in consideration. But there is nine pages of side effects from the virus, from the vaccine. And that concerns me because it wasn't like, you know, nine different medical problems that you could get from it. This was line after line, so it was a, a diagnosis, comma, diagnosis, comma, and it went on and on and on, and it's like nine pages of this, and it's yeah. like... It showed a lot of miscarriages, it showed a lot of things that should be um, alarming to anyone in our past history of any kind of vaccines that we've had in the past, um, you know, even just a few of these things during these trials may it means that it doesn't go to market or get hold or you know and and it's of course interesting that they um wanted to not release this for 75 years um and you know pra well, praise tells you a lot yeah it does tell you a lot and praise god for the folks that fought against that and and got the these documents released and i think that that's probably why we had suspicious timing on other things that you know distracted everybody well i think there's um, a second hurdle they're going to come and, and yeah it's it's what all redacted so yeah you get all of these pages and it's like you know i've seen legal stuff it's like it's redact 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 you can't see what the point is yeah so they've got to go back to court and have them on redacted it's like of the 1223 deaths how many vaccines did you give to get that, what's that rate? Well, we don't know because they redacted the information on how many people got injected. Now, now I read what it showed was a 12% uh, efficacy rate. Um, uh, did you read the same? And, and all, on all these things, I mean, I encourage people to do their own investigation Absolutely. and look at it. Um, because there's been plenty of times that you know, salacious things have been um, coming out, um, sometimes by, you know, people who have um, ulterior motives and want to make, um, you know, those of us that are concerned, and you know, look stupid. Um, and so I always want to be, be careful about that. But, um, you know, did you see some of those same things? Um, th that uh, bottom line, what it seems to be is what they sold us was not what they gave us. Well, again, and, and again, to be fair, I do not have that because I have not read those myself. The right. only couple of points I had was what I saw, which were the side effects. So, you know, again, these agencies, in my view, have a responsibility to the medical communities to say, here's what happened, here's the safety data, and you need to take and recommend this or not recommend or just present this data to the patients because we're the guys in the trenches. Right. <laughs> we're interfacing, you know, physician-patient relationships. So let's let them know before you make a decision. It's called informed consent. And right. that's a right of a patient in the Bill of Rights the patient bill rights, that you know this before you utilize this. And if you want to, please, no problem. But at least you've been informed. Yeah. And that's so important. Yeah, and I've said that. I mean, I've encouraged uh, a lot of people not to get the vaccine. And the people that I've encouraged not to get the vaccine, um, it's because I look at them and they're 30 years old and, you know, super healthy, or they, they're talking about giving it to their kids or things like that, that, that none of that makes any rational sense based on what we know about the actual illness itself. Um, 
But if somebody says, hey, you know, I got the vaccine, I, you know, I might make fun of you a little bit. But, um, you know, I, I'm not, uh, you know, hey, I wouldn't. I'm a doctor. <laughs> yeah, no, good, good for you. Um, but, you know, I, I give people a hard time all the time. Yeah. Uh, it's part of my branding. Yeah, no problem. But I, I, um, I if you want to do it, fine. But what we should be doing is, you know, informing people. We shouldn't be excusing them wholesale from any liability for, you know, putting something that is terrible into us. Um, and we should be exposing how um, ineffective it really is compared to what they sold us uh, on it. You know, they told us this thing was going to, you know, free us all and, you know, this was going to be the path to, to our liberty and, and redemption, you know, and right. clearly it wasn't. Right. So, and I think there's a strong body of evidence out there that shows everything you just said. Yeah. That it is not as, you know, efficacious as we thought. Uh, but again, give us the entire story yeah. in a medical community so we can advise appropriately. Let us be free to make our own decisions Correct. and let's not take the uh, the best, most healthy of us and fire them from their, you know, uh, first responder uh, organizations and all of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And think about it. They are making, they're creating their own public health emergency. Yeah. Because if you have to, you know, shut down or redistribute or overwork these firefighters or cut down their training process or whatever, Inappropriate. Yeah, and, we, and we've seen that happen. I mean, I'm, I'm in the um, first responder community and that I, you know, train a lot of these guys, work with a lot of these guys in other capacities. And, uh, and there's a lot of incredibly talented folks that uh, have been fired. There's a lot that have retired early just to avoid it. Um, and they already had a hiring crisis you know, even prior to um, the, the lockdowns and everything else that's been going on. These guys have been doing, you know, massive amounts of overtime. You also have, in the case of firefighters, um, you also have all of these issues with homelessness and things like that, which is what they're spending more of their time on than they are actually fighting fires these days. And mm -hmm. so you've got all of this happening, mm -hmm. and, and they're sowing the seeds of their own destruction, you know, at the policy level, um, you know, just destroying these really solid agencies that you know are, are protecting us it's it's unbelievably uh, unconscionable so as we say follow the science i don't know if we're doing that so. we are not doing that <laughs> well listen um it has been a pleasure having you thank I you i am excited about actually diving into the study with you and the results and i know you you have and i appreciate this about you you've been so careful in our conversations you know about hey i want to make sure that you know this is solid that we really lay out something here that's beautiful and you know i, I can tell already by the conversation we had you you're not a shoot from the hip you know you want this to be correct and that's exactly how all of our doctors all of our scientists should be and should have been during this entire crisis. So I, I commend you for that. I really appreciate it, and, and no thank problem. you for the time. And you're welcome. And uh, you know, listen, folks, uh, that's the end of today's program. Um, thank you for joining us, and um, we look forward to having part two, where we are going to really dive into the details of this with Dr. Jeff Nordella. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. Good night, folks.